Hello there, terrible warriors. Welcome back to the show. We just finished Tales from the Loop, if you've been listening to our campaign over the last month. I uh, was not your GM, Justin Eacock. I was playing the jock who uh, learned a a lesson in teamwork by the very end there that uh, he can't just go into a portal deep into the prehistoric past and expect to get out on his own. So uh, thanks to his hick brother for pulling the car at the last second and John Blair for joining us for that game. Today, we're doing things a little bit differently. Uh, At the end of our game, I have um, been in touch with and he has agreed to join me here for a conversation uh, the project manager from Tales in the Loop, ooh, Thomas Herrenstam. And uh, along with working on Tales in the Loop, also a co-founder of Free League Games, the, they're the ones who put out Tales in the Loop and Coriolis and Mutant Year Zero. And, oh, have they also put out Things from the Flood, the Kickstarter sequel to Tales in the Loop? Well, let's, why don't we talk about that? Thomas, thank you for joining me here on The Terrible Warriors. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Tales in the Loop has such an interesting origin story. We talked a bit about it during our game. It started originally as a collection of artwork by um, Simon Stalinag and then was turned into a game. And I don't want to ruin the whole story on you. Tell me, how, how did Tales in the Loop go from art to game? Because it's not as a... Uh, predetermined i think as some people would assume yeah yeah it's uh, it, yeah it's, it's been uh, quite a journey it, it started out i mean it's now i believe yeah, it's about like 5 years ago when simon started doing these art pieces he just did them for fun uh, just put them out on a blog just did one put it out did another put it out and those that that art that later came to be tales from the loop it wasn't even it didn't even really have a name back then it started sort of appearing, at least in our circles, and it also garnered uh, international attention fairly quickly. It was actually picked up because he's got this very, very particular, this very, uh, uh, I mean, the art is it's, it's this mix of very, uh, I mean, it's a retro sci-fi, it's an alternate 1980s, 1990s, where these... Uh, landscapes he's very very well uh, painted landscapes he's actually a landscape and nature artist to start out with the robots they came actually later but he's this mix of the, these landscapes and these strange machines and creatures and that just took off and of course we noticed because we have a, it sort of appeared in our circles and and we uh, after some you know uh, via some other people and and just by you know the way things go we ended up uh, having a meeting with with Simon and then we we wanted to do to publish his his art in an art book that was like the first thing that we wanted to do and uh, so that's what happened so in to, in 2014 we actually published the tales from the loop art book in swedish only at that time and and then things started to sort of started rolling so we we did a kickstarter for an uh, english version uh, that was in the year after and then of course since we uh, were publishing tabletop rpgs and simon's work is is influenced to some at least to an extent by by rpgs back in the 80s and 90s as well that he he played or at least his older brother mainly played he was the kind of you know the younger kid who wasn't really allowed to be in the group and just sat on the sidelines watching so but it's it's got influence from there so it's very close to what we were, were doing and 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 
So we felt this is this ha we have to turn this into a game. So we started working on on the game that was based on the art and the universe, and then we of course fill it out because the art book leaves a lot of things unsaid, which is cool for an art book. An RPG needs to give you some more solid information to work with. So uh, so yeah, so it started there, and uh, we had a. We contacted a, a freelance uh, writer called Nils Hintze, who's done the main part of the writing. There are many other writers in, in there as well, but he did them, definitely did the, the main part of the writing. Uh, the, and then we tweaked uh, this, the rule system that I created for Mutant Year Zero, which is our first international game. Uh, Nils tweaked that rule system to fit uh, the Tales universe. and. Uh, we uh, yeah, and then we kickstarted the first game in late 2016, so almost two years ago now. And yeah, since then it's just been uh, been going going quickly. Uh, we did had some good good luck at Gen Con last year, won some awards, and it's just been uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, these paintings do remind me a bit of like the watercolors uh, that by like I would have seen it like at my grandma's house hanging on the wall and stuff. And 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 but then you throw in just a, f a few more fantastical elements, and you're like, oh hey, what am I looking at here? Um, yeah. And and they do work uh, really well as 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 complements too when you're running a game to like inspire some imagery, and you really climatize you to the setting that 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 the game is being in. What Thomas is your like favorite thing here about the the Tales from the Loop setting. What what is it that hooks you in? I mean, the the world of Tales from the Loop is like hyper realistic, and it's kind of the at least I think whatever your age is. But just I mean, I grew up in the eighties, so I, I'm, for me, looking at this art and these 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 paintings, it's like seeing my inner life. It's like it looks like you know uh my what what i would normally see on an average day but it has these fantastical elements so it's like your yeah. imagination and the things that you sort of dreamt about and thought about as a, as a kid at least i did you know things like you know robots and dinosaurs and stuff coming to life so it's very much the inner life and the sort of normal life uh, combined and i think that that's done in a very powerful way and i think that's what sparks imagination uh, in so many people, and not just people who grew up in the 80s. I think it works even if you're younger or older than that. It, it's, but, but of course, it's got that. It's set in that era. Well, it really falls into like, you know, kids these days don't play outside and that. And I mean, hell, I remember, you know, out and having like those imaginary games and, and, and you know, looking at yeah. the baseball diamond and saying, that's now the bridge of the Enterprise. And uh, and, and, and building, you know, the, the, those games around. And, and a lot of this artwork... Uh, as you're turning through it, and I've got it right in front of me, is uh, is it real or is it just in that kid's mind as he's looking <clears throat> out over the landscape and then creating this this reality? Uh, and of course, for the for the RPG, you decided it's all real, even the weird bits. Yeah, I mean that was uh, one of the, the the difficulties or the challenges of of turning uh, the art into an RPG or the universe. Because Simon, even though I mean the, the art is what he's sort of known for, but he's a world builder, so it's really it's yeah. got a whole it's a whole world. But but for him, some of the art pieces were like, no, I mean, I, he he was like, no, this is not perhaps not even real. This might just be. You know, someone's imagination or someone's story of what had happened. Whereas other other uh, art pieces were more like, no, no, this is really real for sure. I mean, so the tall tales in the loop. Yeah, so it's uh, exactly which I mean, that's obviously fine for an art book to have that ambiguity whether what you're looking at is actually happening or just somebody's 
you know, dream or story. But for the RPG, we needed to give at least the Game Master some more solid information. Then you can sort of play with that uncertainty about what's real and what's not in the game, absolutely. But I think the Game Master needs to know at least what, what, what he or she wants to sort of... Uh, f- wants to be real in this world. The players can definitely be unclear about it, but I don't think it's a good idea for a game if everyone is unclear about what's real and what's not. Someone needs to know what the framework is so that everyone else can climb around in it. Um, exactly. Something about Tales and Loop, as we were prepping for the game and getting ready, and I'm flipping through the book and getting myself ready for it as well, uh, we've played other games set in uh, in the 80s or in other period times or that play off of nostalgia culture. There's something unique about Tales and Loop that really captured my nostalgia strings in particular, that uh, growing up in Canada in the 80s and earlier than that, uh, uh, 85 to 91, I was in Ireland, and there was something about the, the this game more than others that felt so relatable. Maybe it's it's the kids playing outside and the imagination and the not really having that same hyper consumer culture that that, that you see reflected in a lot of eighties material on television from 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 this from the states. What do you think did it for for Tales in the Loop that really blended that eighties nostalgia with these really fantastic elements like, hey, this is a world that has sentient robots walking around and everyone is just like that's just normal for them yeah i mean i think one thing that perhaps sets uh the game apart from just general 80s nostalgia you know because there's a lot of that going around it of course but i think what the game has and the the art books have and we really wanted to convey that in the game and i think i think we we do is that it's not just like the fantastical elements it's not just the pop culture of the 80s it's also like the everyday boredom of the 80s as well so it's got Mm. it's not all it is that it because that what sort of grounds the story so that's the game is built to have also these kinds of everyday scenes in between and that there is like the everyday life is always there and i think that so that grounds the game a little bit so it it needs to be a little bit boring yeah, exactly. uh, so you can't because if you just go for the fantastical stuff, I think it feels a bit less relatable and less real. I, I, yeah, I think that's exactly it. When we were playing the game, I honestly thought I wish Joshua was here to to talk with us. He ran our game as our game master, and the first episode of the game is entirely everyday life, and it <clears> was, uh, and we weren't even together as a group. I'm I'm off at a hockey game, getting into a fight, and the coach is uh, threatening to throw me <laughs> off the yeah. team because I'm not doing well in school. Another kid's out there on the rooftop helping his dad put together the Christmas lights for the season, and, and it's all just so dull, and I'm at the end of the episode <laughs> actually pulling Joshua aside going, Joshua, you know we're recording for a podcast, right? Like, it's got to actually... It's, it's stuff has to happen here, and yeah. and he's like, "Don't worry, trust me. This is all part of my great plan." And slowly, you know, the breadcrumbs were laid out there, and we we're lured out to follow this mystery, and we're ch- being chased by dinosaurs by the third episode, and going through time portals, and and I'm like, "Oh my god!" But there was this escalation to it that yeah. by the end of that first episode, I was like banging on the walls trying to get out. And that's exactly the kind of feeling those kids are supposed to have. So I guess Joshua played me like a fiddle. But it was <laughs> it was really interesting to play a game that that wrestled with that mundane life versus like the the uh, fantasies of the fantastic and wanting to get out there and be something bigger. It was really cool. Nice. Yeah, that's exactly what we were going for to get that balance. Of course, it can't be all boring. It has to be that 
balanced that combination of both. So and and then always at the very end, no one believes you, and you got to go back to school on Monday and and exactly. go right back to where you kind of started again. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Before I get into, I, I know we've got uh, uh, things from the flood coming out here on Kickstarter. I did want one last question from Tales in the Loop for you. Of the kid types, there's only these great archetypes to play as, and and we all latched onto the ones that we were really into. Which one is yours, Thomas? What 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 kid type do you enjoy? It's uh, a good question. Um, actually, we're discussing it a bit today because we're we're um, f- finalizing uh, those uh, archetypes for things from the flood, and and there we sort of had that discussion right now. It was just sort of who would we be? I'm looking back to who we were in that game. You play a bit older teens, but for Tales from the Loop, for the sort of younger younger teens, I would think. Uh, I probably the weirdo. I think sometimes maybe the computer geek, but I was never that much into computers. More into analog stuff, comics yeah. and role playing games. Even back then, so weirdo would probably be the right one. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to say, yeah, same deal. I'd I'd want to be the computer geek. Hell, I'd want to be as cool as the weirdo. But honestly, <laughs> uh, at that age in that era, I was more likely the bookworm. Um, mm, and yeah, then, and I, then as I grew up, I translated into other archetypes, but that's, I think, where I originally started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that could be me as well, I think. Yeah. So Tales in the Loop is not where our story ends. Uh, you've recently announced at Free League a Kickstarter for a sequel to the series, Things from the Flood from the 1990s that never was, uh, playing slightly older kids as we go into, like, you know, we're not... 11 to 15 now, we're into that 15 to 19? Is it go even that old? Uh, yeah, 18, 19, yeah. And uh, so, so tell me, how, how did Things from the Flood become, and, uh, and how different is it from our experience on Tales from the Loop? It's based on the second art book, which is also called Things from the Flood. So it was always on our mind to do uh, like the next step, to sort of do the same, follow that same... A sequence for the RPGs, and we and we also felt that it would would be a, a cool sort of sequel to Tales from the Loop. That's that's game is still there. This is not a new edition or anything. It's just, this is like a we call it a standalone expansion because it's going to be a full game. But of course they're connected. They share most of the mechanics. But what the real change, the real difference is is that you, you by moving into the 1990s and also playing older teens, you can play with a different style, different tone, and different themes, uh, because, of course, being an older teen has, you know, you'll, you'll struggle with different kind yeah. of everyday problems, and the world has changed. Uh, of course, both in, in, in wherever you play, whether you play, uh, the game is set in the US or in, in Sweden, there are quite significant changes uh, between the 80s and 90s. In, in Sweden, in the 90s is when uh, really the outside world came into Sweden, that was in the 80s very much, uh, you know. Uh, protected uh, country with very not that much influence. There, there were only two channels on TV. There was TV one and TV two, and nothing else. And there was very you know, though you. Whereas in the 90s you got you know commercials on TV. You got all kinds of. I mean, the in, the outside world really came into. To, to Sweden, in, in you could say it washed over them like a flood. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So of course that that and and that is reflected in the game. But you don't have to play in Sweden because there. Are, I mean, you can play in the U.S. or any other. You can play in your own country as well because there are. I mean, obviously go- global changes going on in this at this time as well. Where perhaps in the 90s there was a bit less 
there was some more, uh, you know, ambiguity about what's important and what's not, what sort of what norms to follow, and there was a, you know, a, a change of like that that I think also worked when you move from playing you know, younger te- younger kids to playing older teens, where you sort of have to struggle with who am I, what's important yeah. in life, and it, like it's a bit more serious, and the tone of the game is a bit more serious. There's still this is just the everyday part I'm talking about now. There's of course the mystery solving and the the fantastical part as well, but I think the that and that tone of the mysteries they also reflect this a bit strained, darker, and also a bit weirder uh, feel. So they kind of go together. So it's 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 uh, this time. I mean, the biggest rules difference is that in in things from the flood, you can actually your character can die, which you can't in Tales from the Loop. So it's the stakes are higher. It's darker. It's a bit you know. We're going into a PG-13 rating now where, you know, the stakes are a little bit, you know, death is on the table. The the mysteries, at least from the images I've seen, definitely evoke a a much darker tone, more monstrous Mm. than Tales in the Loop, where Tales in the Loop has this, a very sense of almost whimsy and mystery and no matter how bad it gets, you still have your friends, Uh, where things from the flood... No, it can get. I mean, we're, it's getting Lovecraftian. It's getting a little yeah. more into things can get bad and worse. Uh, yeah, and so be be more be more careful. Now, one thing I liked with Tales from the Loop is you have that mechanic with luck and uh, and attributes of uh, the younger you are, the more luck you have. The older you are, the more attributes you have, uh, and then your character essentially retires once you hit. The age of sixteen, and and yep. if you actually choose to play a long form game, you can kind of level up your character through a birthday, and yep. uh, and then your attribute goes up, your luck goes down, and you keep moving forward. Will it be possible to graduate your Tales in the Loop character when they turn sixteen and carry them over and do like, or even a time jump and bring them to eighteen and carry them into Things from the Flood, where there'll be like a conversion that allows for that? Yeah, that's that. That's absolutely the idea that you will be able to play your 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 Tales of the Loop character as an older person, uh, definitely. Uh, either just playing as as he or she ages, or or making a you know a jump in time, sort of, and and setting the game a few years later. That's definitely possible and can be a lot of fun. I think you could play a little bit like it, eh? Uh, where you have the two timelines fighting the same potential mystery. Uh, because yeah. because you already know the buy-in that your kids in Tales and Loop can't die, so they will be there for Things in the Flood, and so you can uh, you can you can you can play with that expectation. Where where Things in the Flood, the stakes are maybe they're not going to make it. Um, yeah, uh, I, I'm really excited for this game. I, I I can't wait to try it out. Freely Games, you've also had done Mutant Year Zero and uh, Coriolis. I have a copy of Coriolis, and Derek has a copy of Mutant Year Zero, and we both keep talking to each other about these games. We haven't had a chance to play it on the podcast. I guess I want to just widen the scope here with Free League. How has it been as uh, a Swedish publisher putting out these games and uh, and some of the challenges you've, you've, you've faced and have learned over time? And uh, what is it that keeps you working in the, in the tabletop gaming minds, as it were. We started doing the first games only in, in Swedish, but pretty early on. We released, actually, we, we started out in 2011, and 2012 we released the first game in Swedish, and then the first game in English came out in 2014. So it's, it's pretty early on. And it's I think it, it what really enabled us to do that, I would say, is, uh, well, 
two things. One is Kickstarter, that, that really crowdfunding yeah, and Kickstarter was really key to, re, to being able to sort of getting our, you know, stuff out, getting, you know, some attention and getting things moving. I think that that, that was really key uh, because, and also once you've had a, a, a good Kickstarter, that turns to, tends to sort of give, uh, you know, create some attention and then it's, you know, when you do the next one, you sort of, you build on that and it sort of creates a kind of a momentum that has really worked, you know, well for us, which has been a lot of fun. For the first game, which in English, which was Mutant Year Zero, that we actually didn't kickstart, we published that, you know, normally. We teamed up with Modifius, which is a British uh, publisher of, of games as well, and we still work with them for distribution, but that sort of was like, they really, I mean, we teamed up with them, which helped us in the beginning, and still still helps us uh, to, to get seen and to, you know, work with distributors to, you know, get our games into stores everywhere and all over the world and, and so on. So it's been uh, you know, it's been a process, but it's and and, and a lot of fun, and it's it kind of a it's been a thing in the last couple of years. I mean, we are of the, the with the several Swedish RPG publishers uh, having some, you know, getting noticed and putting games out. I think we were the first one in this late, you know, this wave uh, with Year Zero, but now there's a few others. Uh, so we're a bit of a bit of a trend here. A bit of, of a Swedish invasion happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know why that is, but it's fun. Yeah, I, it, yeah. It's just one of those. Um, uh, here in Toronto, there's just been such a wave of indie video game development, and it's just uh, there's something that happens in that. Um, I don't know that group energy yeah. that it all just kind of feeds into each other. And one person, yeah, like like the like what's happened at Free League, you have some success, and it just empowers those around. To then, well, we can uh, we can we can follow our things too. Yeah. Um, so the uh, things from the flood, uh, the Kickstarter at the time of our recording is only like forty-eight hours old, and you're well into how many thousand percentages are you over your Kickstarter goal at this point? Uh, oh, well, let's see. <laughs> yeah, that would be. Yeah. I think last I checked, it was like twelve hundred percent over. Yeah, now it would be price. seventeen. Now it's even yeah. higher yes. to seventeen and yeah. up. And I mean, congratulations! That's that's amazing. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, sometimes a... you go into a Kickstarter and it's will we or won't we, and other times you go into a Kickstarter and you blink and you're done. And and now yeah. and now it's just victory laps for the next thirty days. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, what what kind yeah, no, of it's, uh... what stretch goals have been announced? Uh, what are you really excited about with? things in the flood over the course of this campaign because this interview will come out next week so we'll still be in the midst of it so by all means what are we really hoping that we'll be able to uh reach with the kickstarter because the game's going to happen the kickstarter's been a success but that doesn't mean there aren't going to be more surprises that come along right yeah absolutely and we already unlocked quite a few uh bonus uh, scenarios or mysteries and, and uh, other things like gm screen and uh Robot blueprints and 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 stuff, but I think what we're oh those are the low unlocking... hanging fruit. We knew those were going to exactly. happen. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but what's pretty cool that we're doing now? Uh, I mean, that's on the table now. Stretch goals that are sort of uh, we're in the middle of. I think let's see. Yeah, actually, three have been unlocked. That's three more scenarios, three mysteries, uh, and then. There is a mystery landscape, which is more of an open, uh, open scenario landscape. And, yeah, more and, and if we reach the, Yeah, exactly. And then if we reach the one after that, uh, all of those are going to be combined into a book. So then you'll actually get a, an additional 
hardcover scenario book. And the idea for those is that they will tie together so uh, into uh, like a, uh, a shorter campaign. And that campaign is is, is if it turns out the way we 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 want we, we want it, it's pretty cool and it actually relates to what you you mentioned before because this campaign can be played with both uh, either things from the flood or tales from the loop uh, with younger kids or older teens and you can and there is an element of time time travel there as well without giving away the whole plot but i think that's going to be a really cool addition to the game and a full extra campaign beyond the one that's actually going to be included in the core book as well. So I'm looking forward to that. Very cool. I, I'm really happy to hear that I was right on the right frequency with the tone <laughs> yeah. of where you're going. Uh, and uh, I'm not at all traveling in from another timeline to spoil the future. So Thomas, is there is there anything you'd like to leave us with? What's next for Free League? Things in the Flood is obviously going to take up like your life for the for the foreseeable future. Uh, but what what are what are some things that you're you're really looking forward to on the horizon for Free League? Well, one thing uh, I'd like to mention is is uh, another game that is being uh, actually it's mm-hmm. being completed right now. It's called Forbidden Lands. It's our sort of tribute to old school uh, fantasy gaming. So it's it's not an OSR game. Not it's not a D and D clone, but it's it's sort of our take on uh, retro fantasy. So and it's uh, based on the same rules engine as Mutant Year Zero and our other games. And it we kickstarted it last year, and now it's uh, everything is finally done, and it's being sort of very soon. It's going to start shipping out to to backers everywhere, and then it's going to be released, you know, generally later in the fall. So I'm really looking forward to having that. It's going to be a boxed set with a lot of cool stuff in it, and and uh, so I'm looking forward to putting that out, and and just uh, also getting my chance to you know, see the final product for myself as well. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, again, like evocative dark imagery in this game that I've seen in, in some of the stuff you've already released uh, out yeah. in preview. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to learning more about Forbidden Lands and uh, seeing uh, more about these. Uh, the land itself is very much uh, a threat to the characters too, right? Like like these, this is a cursed place. And, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be fun to explore. Uh, I'm, I'm into that. Uh, that uh, I, I, I dig it. So, Thomas, thank you for joining me. Thank you for spending your time with us uh, to to talk about this game. We love Tales in the Loop. I want to keep playing Tales in the Loop. We've got we've got more mysteries to solve. Uh, there's more to find out with with Henrik and and and, and the rest of them. And uh, Thomas, thank you for spending your time with me. Thank you for sharing uh, your your games, your futures, your love of this of this hobby of ours. I hope you have a great day. You too. The Terrible Warriors has new episodes out every Tuesday. Special thanks again to Thomas Herrenstam for joining us from Free League Games for this special in-depth conversation we just had. The Things from the Flood is an ongoing Kickstarter happening right now. Find the link in the show notes, go check them out, send them your love, and let them know that Terrible Warriors sent you. Follow us on Twitter at Dice Warriors for updates on the program. And if you really want to get involved and hang out and jam with us, Head to TerribleWarriors.com and click the Connect button to our Discord channel. I know, we talk about it all the time for our Patreon rewards, but it is open to the public and you can join us just to hang out. Some listeners have started a listener gaming group. and They're running their own terrible tabletop games online and, hey, there might be a seat there waiting for you. I'm sure they'd love to have you. Next week, we launch a new campaign for the month of October, set 
in the horrific world of Magpie Games' Bluebeard's Bride. And until that time, thank you for joining us right here on the Terrible Warriors. <laughs>